The voice is gone. Long live the legend of Vince Scully. iHeart continues to shuffle market managers, and we question, is it to save money or are they changing roles? That's the big question. And earning reports are trickling in, Keith, for the publicly traded radio groups, and you and I are asking, are all the cool kids doing impairment these days? We'll talk about that, too. So welcome to our latest edition of Media Insultant. We give you some ideas, comments, and thoughts for the radio and TV industry, specifically around radio and TV sales, sales management, group management, and anybody else that happens to wander into a radio station that can do anything. I'm Jackson Weaver here in Kirkland, Washington, outside of Seattle. My co-host, Keith Samuels, is in Los Angeles. Keith, good morning. How are things in L.A.? Greetings, Jackson, and uh, things in L.A. are very depressed as we've lost Vin Scully, but uh, we carry on here in the hills above the Sunset Strip, Well, we the will, clubs never close. And we, will, we will dig into Vince a little bit, into his life, and we do this each Tuesday and Friday. We do Media Insultant, so we'd like to welcome you to the Friday, August 5th episode of Media Insultant. Well, Keith, the best of laid plans. I mean, we had planned on having Ron Stone talk about zone casting in today's show, but he was unable to make it at the last minute. I give him a hall pass. Did you sign it too? So we could give yeah, him we'll a hall pass. Off, he can come he's back got a sometime. permanent hall pass. He actually has a job. He's actually working and running radio stations and he manages people. And, you know, we don't currently. Well, you know, uh, we like to think that we have some engagement with people. But, you know, Ron's, Ron's out there actually collecting a paycheck. And uh, so he, get, he gets a permanent hall pass for sure. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get him back. And uh, and maybe by the time we get them back, we'll have some resolution from the SEC on what uh, what they're doing about this uh, zone casting for radio stations. But I, I was armed with some great questions. I really want to kind of know some more about it. And uh, so I hope we get them back soon to talk about that. Well, I don't know. You, you may be right, more right than I am. I, I don't see the FCC making a decision on this till they have a full contingent of five commissioners. They have just four now. So I think the debate will continue at least until next year, and we'll see. They, they may make a snap judgment and move one way or the other, but we'll uh, keep an eye on it, and it's bound to give us more fodder for <laughs> As if we need more fodder. <laughs> All right, we're, so... We're full of fodder. Oh, we're full of fodder. Hello, mother. Hello, fodder. <laughs> I agree. All right, so maybe the best tweet I saw this morning about the death of famed announcer Vin Scully was that he was the only thing that could truly unite as disparate a community as Los Angeles. And uh, I thought that was just really poignant because everybody knows Vin Scully in L.A. and truly everybody knows Vin Scully worldwide. Uh, how did he get to be such a such a commodity, such a, a well-known commodity? Well, he was the play-by-play -play announcer for the Los Angeles Dodgers when Major League Baseball first moved to Los Angeles back in 1958. Um, and he was the voice of the Dodgers from 19, 1950 to 2016. So he did like 50, uh, 66, 67 se seasons with the Dodgers. That, that spans so many lifetimes of, of baseball fans. But more than that, uh, Vin, became, Vin was this... Uh, 
just a, a wonderful man, a wonderful guy, a lovely guy. Everybody loved Vin, um, and 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 he was so recognizable. He was he was like the symbol of L.A. Uh, beyond what anybody had ever achieved, any politician, any entertainer, any 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 executive, uh, you know, Vin was just this ever-present um, joy to listen to, and he was such a great storyteller. Uh, listening to a ball game with Vin, it almost didn't matter what the game was about. It was who was playing, the background, the stories, the intrigue of of how they got to be where they were, and the significance of the moment. And you know, it, it was just it was just his wonderful style. But I, I really think the way that that Vin became um, uh, so ingratiated with the fans of the Dodgers, and then you know, over over you know, multiple multiple generations, was the fact that when the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles, first the Giants moved in 1957 to San Francisco, and then the Dodgers followed suit, um, and both abandoned New York, and that's a whole big controversial subject, but. Um, the Dodgers played in, in, a, in a little intimate ballpark known as the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It was built, you know, uh, for, for, for the Olympics in 1932. It's been the home of USC football since then. This is a massive outdoor uh, stadium that holds 90,000 people, or back in that day held over 100,000 people. And they, they, they fashioned a baseball diamond in one corner of the Coliseum. But that corner of the Coliseum was so far away from most of the seats in the Coliseum that the fans couldn't see anything. So with technology, and and they couldn't see the ball, they couldn't see the, the game, but they wanted to be at a baseball game and they wanted to see the Dodgers. And they wanted to eat the hot dogs and the and drink the beer and that kind of thing. It was so, as social as it exactly. There was no other major league sport in Los Angeles. The Rams weren't here. The Lakers weren't here. The Clippers weren't here. The Kings weren't here. There was nothing, right? Nothing, but the Dodgers. And so fans would bring their transistor radios to the game. And so it became a thing where the only way you could know what really what was going on at the game was to bring your transistor radio. And so you didn't listen to Vin Scully. And that's, you know, at 80, 80 some odd games a year, right? And so people would, you know, you'd go to the Coliseum and you, my God, all you could hear was, and was the, the baseball game being announced by Vin Scully from your neighbor's transistor radio because they didn't have headphones then. There were no earbot, earpods, you know, it was... It was the radio. And so that became a thing. And so you had several generations when they opened Dodger Stadium, people kept bringing their transistor radios to the game because they really couldn't experience Dodger baseball without listening to Vin tell them what was going on right before their very eyes, right? Uh, now, you add, add to that that for a, a great deal of time in those early days, up until the uh, probably the, the mid '60s, uh, uh, late '60s, when the, when they switched stations, but the, the the games were broadcast on KFI, and KFI was a clear channel radio station, not the ownership group. It was technically at 6:40 a.m. a station that you could hear all over the Western United States, and sometimes with the skip all over the country. So you had an amazing coverage by KFI, and you had people in the stands listening. That was just how you experienced baseball in Los Angeles, was through the eyes and 
tones of Vin Scully. So it became kind of a thing. And it still was all the way up to the time, you know, he retired in 2016, where it was that you'd, you'd hear him all over the stadium. You'd go back to the concession stands and they had loudspeakers with Vin announcing the game as you were in stand, you were in line for your Dodger dog and your, uh, and, and your, your beer. It became the voice of our city and the face of our city. So um, yes, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a sad week for the entire city and multi-generational, multi-ethnic, all sides of the political aisle. It didn't matter. Vin was the center of our life. Well, and the nice part about it, candidly, is, uh, you know, he, he lived a good long life and it really, it, there is a sadness to it. There's a great celebration to it and there's a great realization of what it was, as you said, that he said and did and portrayed as a class act, as a first-class guy, and as somebody who really united L.A. around baseball, of all things. So yeah, yeah, I do have an idea, though. I was thinking about this. You know, we're always looking for new formats in radio. Why don't we take an AM station in Los Angeles and just 24-7? You know, well, yeah, it's probably, probably, well, you know, 162, 160, 150 to 162 games a year for for 67, 68 seasons. I mean, it was uh, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of games. You do the math because yeah. I can't, and it's just a lot of games. So anyway, that could be our new hot. Well, yeah, and yeah, and I'll be and, and you know I'm tuning into the local sports stations this week and see uh, you know the you know KLAC, which which is the current rights holder for the Dodgers, is half owned or 49 percent owned by the Dodgers. And I'm sure they'll be uh, they're, they're loading up with uh, all sorts of uh, of best of Vin. But YouTube has so many because you know he, he, later on in his in the career uh, back in you know starting probably in the uh, 70s, you know they started you know he did all the television games for the Dodgers as well, and they simulcast the games, uh, and then they switched back and forth between the, the cable version of the games and the radio. So he would do a certain number of innings on radio and a certain number of innings on television. So there's a lot of content on YouTube. But some of the best content on YouTube that's up there is when Vin was doing uh, play-by-play for CBS Sports and NBC Sports. He did he did NFL football for CBS. He did the he did the Masters. He he hosted the Masters from '75 to '82 for CBS. And just you know, so all all my friends have been sending me all the links to all those different uh, videos. But uh, you know, it, it was it's a it's a sad day and. Uh, you know, just hearing Vin say, it's time for Dodger baseball, you know, it's legendary. May he rest in peace. All right. God bless Vin Scully. Um, let's get back to the business that we've got to deal with today, sadly. You know, the the thing that you and I have talked about for a while that we've seen in smaller markets is kind of this compression of the role between the GSM and the general manager. And I think it's now beginning to infect major markets. Keith, you, we had some changes in major market management for iHeart. What were your observations on that? Well, yeah, uh, a week ago uh, now, they, they had, in two successive days, they named new market managers in two uh, decent-sized markets, Portland and San Diego. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, San Diego's a top 25 market. Portland's not far behind. Uh, and they promoted their head of sales in each of those cities to the market President role, I think it is. Yeah, it, it basically in the back in the old days we used to call that the general manager. So if you were an old fan of uh, of WKRP in Cincinnati, Gordon Jump was the big guy. You know, remember the big guy? He was the general manager. That role has been replaced by market manager because now 
we have clusters of radio stations rather than just one or two that they would run. Now they have seven or eight or nine or ten stations in a market. And so in Portland and, and San Diego in successive days, they, they promoted their head of sales to the market president role overseeing the cluster of radio stations. But what was interesting is, is that uh, in San Diego, it was, it was uh, Melissa Forrest had that job. And she was, told, she was said to, it was described in the press releases that she was transitioning to a consulting role. Not sure what that means. And in Portland, Peter Landry was just not there anymore. Uh, you've got a little bit more story about the Peter Landry situation, but it's interesting that they're taking uh, these, you know, they're, hey, they're doing a great thing. They're promoting from within, you know, but they're promoting from within from a job that we're familiar with to a job that really is basically almost the same because they're not they're, they're not overseeing all the departments what departments would general managers typically oversee that they don't anymore jackson well think about it you know there's supervision of programming promotion engineering marketing business operation traffic that was always under a general manager's supervision and i think most of those have been i don't want to say outsourced but they certainly have been remoted to corporate, you know, corporate program directors, corporate promotion people, corporate engineering people. And I'm not saying that the GM or the market manager isn't involved and isn't isn't part of it, but he certainly doesn't supervise it. And those mm-hmm. people don't report to him anymore in, in mm-hmm. a lot of these cases. Now, these are with some of the larger groups. You start talking about, you know, a couple of radio stations in Omaha that are still locally owned. That's a different deal. But the large groups, Odyssey, iHeart, and cumulus, I think you're seeing more and more of this this flattening of the org chart as they move their senior sales guy into a market <laughs> manager role and say, okay, you can move yeah. office, but same same job as yesterday as as the who okay. said second verse same as the first. Or no, that was that was uh, Herman's Hermits. But you know whatever, whatever the point is is that is that the, that job really has morphed into just being primarily a sales role and Peter Landry in his case he uh, joined a family business that he'd had for a while so no animosity there well, but, just... but you know you, you know a lot of ex-general managers and I do too that are no longer in the business or would still like to be in the business and just got you know aged out or priced out but 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 the job is not the job they used to have so you're sitting on top of a cluster of radio stations uh, and in any market you're not in charge anymore you're not running. You're not. You're not, the program. You can't go down to the program director and go. The morning guy just really blew it. Or why are we playing that song? Or what the heck's going on with this promotion? You don't have anything to do with that. That's all driven by the format captain, the corporate PD, and the corporate marketing person for your region. Uh, you're basically on the line for the revenue. So the regional guy is just barking at you for hitting your numbers, but everything else. It's, it's out of you. In fact, I even had a buddy of mine who was managing a station. I'm not going to say in what market but um, and for what owner, but it's one of the big three. And, and he's saying, Keith, I can't tell you the last time I walked down the hall to programming, you know, because it's in another part of the radio station. He goes, I can't tell you the last time I walked down there. And I, you know, I couldn't believe it because, you know, back in the day, you know, that's, that's the GM was down there all the time, but not anymore. Not anymore. So there's so these are jobs that guys like you and me and Peter Landry and uh, other friends of ours 
would love to have still had, but it's now a glorified sales manager job, and they're like, I'm out of here. Yeah, and I'm not really critical of it. I, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty necessary. You see compression in a lot of businesses, you know, that are mature. You know, it it, it may not be as much fun, but consolidation and just the flattening of the revenue curve that everybody's got. Nobody's nobody's making the money they were making a while ago. So. It just it just is inevitable, and I can't really complain about it. I think if I was running iHeart, I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, but if you if you're a, if you okay, go ahead. I, I beg to differ, but you know, you're, you're, it's 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 inevitable because of the expense pressure that they're under that they have to do this. They're eliminating these roles, and that's just too sad. But if I'm the guy in charge, and I'm the one who's career and neck is on the line for the performance of that group of radio stations in whatever market. I need to be in charge of everything there. I want to be the guy in charge. But now it's like I'm the guy that gets fired when we don't make the number, but the PD and the corporate brand guy and the corporate promotion guy and the corporate digital guy and the corporate social guy, they, they don't get fired. They just keep doing the same damn thing. But I'm, I'm out because we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't grow 5% last year or something. You know. Yeah, but if you look at it from a corporate standpoint, the company looks at it and says, look, we've got 50 markets. I'm going to pick a number. 50 markets. Every single quarter, some will be up, some will be down. It'll average out. You know, a couple of guys will get thrown under the bus, which you and I have seen, and we'll move on. I, yeah. Okay. We can we can discuss that and disagree on it later. We we were talking about earnings and the earnings are beginning yep. to trickle in now from some of the publicly traded radio companies. Uh, you know, the real question to me is comps compared to a year ago. You notice nobody is talking about 2019 anymore. Mm-mm. You know, we're not talking about getting back to 2019. We are just talking about quarter to quarter comps, and then the slowing growth that we're both hearing anecdotally about revenue in third and fourth quarter. So Beasley was the first up. Uh, Beasley uh, net revenue was up 8.8%, but they had an operating loss of 4.5 million. Maybe you can explain that to me because I don't understand how you can have net revenue up that much, but still have an operating loss. But what was interesting is that they had a. You're going to talk about how they were hit with an impairment charge, or they took an impairment charge, which seems to be the thing that all the cool kids do now, and that affected their operating uh, uh, results. But I noticed in the press releases about it is that they they included in their revenue for second quarter this year one and a half million dollars, one point five million dollars in income from a life insurance policy that paid off on. George Beasley's passing a year ago. So he passed away in June of 2021, bless his heart, 89 years old, the patriarch of Beasley Broadcasting. And like he's got a ton of kids and, and grandkids that are now working for the company. And God bless George for providing a career for all those kids, um, including his daughter, Carolyn, who runs the company. But if, if they hadn't gotten, you know, one and a half million dollars from the life insurance company, you know, this, this would have been a much bigger loss. Yeah. Yeah, well, or or the the net revenue growth would have been, uh, although I don't know that they would have included it in net revenue. But be, be that as it may, I think, you know, that it was nice to see it growing. So I, I will I will say that was encouraging. They were hit with a non or with a non cash impairment charge, and these are just this is just basically the way the company comes through and says, you know, on the books, we had uh, these licenses worth fifty million dollars. They're not worth fifty million. We can't sell. These licenses, these stations for fifty million dollars. Mm. 
so we're going to take an impairment charge. So it's non-cash, reduces their tax liability, and mm -hmm. is, uh, I, I, I don't know that there's an ideal time to ever do an impairment charge, but they did, they did it this quarter, and as we'll talk in a minute, Town Square did the same thing, and they took an even bigger hit in their impairment charge on probably a little more revenue, so that, that may have been the case. But, you know, I remember a few years ago when CBS took a huge impairment charge against their radio stations, and everybody, mm -hmm. frankly, pooped nickels. It was, they were not pleased oh, yeah. with that because of what it said about the industry. But I think everybody's finally getting to the point where they're going, ah, these stations aren't worth what we thought they were, so let's write it off and at least get the tax benefit of it. And there probably is some incremental, I don't know, tax law, but there's some incremental basis on it with which you can only take so much per year or so much on the, on the asset value. Yeah, so basically what you're saying with these impairment charges, that's the technical term for it, but basically what they're doing is they're lowering, from an accounting standpoint, the value of their radio stations. They're, you know, they're saying, okay, our radio stations were this. And, and by the way, their radio stations at Beasley, their impairment charge was what, $8.6 Their radio stations, I don't know when the last impairment charge was, but their radio stations are worth a lot less than even the 8.6 write down of the impairment charge. So that's a fraction of what they could do. So you can you can keep doing these impairment charges every year for tax reasons and for accounting reasons and and you need to because they're not that valuable anymore. So they have to do it. Um yeah, I mean I remember it was like, "Oh my god, they took an impairment charge." And now it's like Oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, they've got to. Right, that's cool. It's with the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like writing off paper clips. And, uh, you know, Town Square took a big one. They had uh, nine, almost nine and a half million impairment. Uh, but their revenue was up 13%. Again, Town Square has a different profile. It was uh, of the total amount of revenue they had, it was something like 48% of their revenue came from digital and digital subs. So they're right there at 50-50 between radio revenue and digital. Now you noticed that the radio revenue was up yep, what one yep. percent. Yeah. So they they have three buckets that they call them. They have their digital subscription service, which is where people sign up and pay a monthly fee to their digital agency that 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 uh, Town Square has, and they they for a monthly fee do all your digital marketing for you, manage your website, boo bunch of services that they do. Then they have another bucket, which is the sale of digital ads on their digital. Uh, media that they have. So it's their their own proprietary station websites and other websites that they sell digital ads on. Those two are digital. And then the last one, the third one, is you know, broadcast, okay? And that's just old-fashioned radio spot sales, okay? And so that was up a whopping, impressive, over-the-top 1%. Now, you know, you know to get to that 1%, that there was some money moved around to make it not flat, you know. <laughs> so in any case, they, they come out with a 1%. The executives at Town Square go, see, that proves that our business model is brilliant because our digital is way up through the roof. It's, it's around 50, 51% of our revenue. We're rocking it with digital. But radio just keeps plugging along, and that's a great source of cash flow for us because, you know, it's paying for all our growth on the digital side. It's paying for all the new people we're hiring. But it's, you know, so they can't ignore it. But clearly, when you say that this is this is going to be the worst broadcast ad revenue performance of any of the major groups in the Q2 of 2022, up 1%, they don't really 
care about selling more radio advertising. Whatever. Wevers. So, you know what? They're fine with that. But the minute that starts to drop, like we think it will in, in third quarter and maybe into a little bit into the fourth quarter, then they're going to panic city because it's just free cash flow. They just, they just gorge on that radio revenue to support yes. pushing digital. Right, right. Well, and, and in, the, in the announcement, they also apparently are the first to announce that they think auto next year isn't coming back. They think it won't come back until 2024 at the earliest. Uh-huh. And we've had some discussions with our auto guru, Ed Steenman. And so that that is consistent with what he says. He originally thought it'd be back in 23. He's now saying eh, the supply chain issue is still big and the companies are loving the money they make and don't want to spend a lot on advertising. So we end up in that role. All right, we've 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 wrong this this issue of Media Insultant out. We've gone way over time. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have to do it again next week when we'll pick up some more topics. Join us each Tuesday and Friday for the updated current most hip and most non-impaired episodes of Media, Media Insultant. We <laughs> right. uh, are on all the podcast platforms. Our videos are on Vimeo under the Media Insultant Showcase We'd love to hear from you, Jackson at InTown Media, if you've got comments. And we do get some good comments and get some questionable ones, too. But uh, we, we delete those almost immediately. So thanks for joining us, Keith. Let's do this again. Until next Tuesday, you go have a good weekend. Thank you, Jackson. And our insults are unimpaired. <laughs>